Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatispark.com. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website at sumatisparks.com. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm super excited to have as my guest, Dr. Eveline Decker, Dacker, Dr. Eveline Dacker, I knew I was going to screw that name up, I'm so sorry, Um, Dr. Eveline Dacker, a Latinx American, um, is a sex-positive, integrative family medicine physician. She's active in creating a safe space for LGBTQIA youth and adults and helping people through illness, trauma, and life transitions. She incorporates a multidisciplinary approach in her practice, using principles of gratitude and pleasure to support her patients in creating their own wellness. And in addition to practicing medicine, Eveline also is a consent and sex educator, a sexual health activist, and a TEDx speaker. She was the executive director of Sex Positive Portland, and she created the Safer Sex Communication Model, STARS, to help facilitate open and honest sex conversations. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dacker. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you tonight. So glad to have you. I've kind of been on your trail since maybe about two or three months into the pandemic when you created like a protocol to talk about um, different levels of risk that people have as we started to begin to think about socializing and that kind of went viral on the internet and I was really impressed with that and I used it with my clients and so that's mm. when you first got on my radar and then I saw you on your Facebook group um, around the PolySecure book and the um, attachment styles for polyamorous folks so I'm really excited to finally get to meet you <laughs> yay that was so oh that feels like such a long time ago that I wrote that it was called COVID Care C-A-R-E and uh yeah, it was probably the thing that got the most attention of all mm-hmm. my writing, and it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a surprise. But it feels like such a long time ago, doesn't it? It does. And, and yet, yeah, it was. Go ahead. And we've been living in this world for so long that you know, I think when I wrote it, it was like, oh, we're going to just we're in this separate separation place, and then we're going to come back together, and then everything is going to be good. So. Yeah, and it seemed like. Um, you know, we're gonna we're we're gonna start like overcoming the trauma of separation after like two or three months. But now it's been almost two years, so there's oh. even more trauma of separation. And like, do you yeah. think about some people say that, you know, if this ever ends, um, will there be like kind of an uptick of trauma because we're still sort of in this state of an heightened alert? And so when we can finally relax, then a lot more will come up would you say? Mm. I would not be surprised if that's the case. Mm-hmm. I think that we, yeah, yeah. I mean, but we've been in such a deep trauma since March of 2020 that we just have no idea how that's going to play itself out. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, I'd really love to hear about how you became kind of a sex positive doctor. You know, it's so awesome. Every so often on my lists, I'll get somebody asking for someone like you. And so it's, it's rare and wonderful. And so tell me how you ended up uh, incorporating those elements into your medical practice. Well, back in 2010, it, it started off all really quite interesting. Um, first of all, I have been studying integrative medicine pretty much since medical school. So holistic medicine, alternative practices, supplements, herbs, and I've constantly been keeping up on that since I graduated, you know, 30 years ago. And then what happened was I was getting my certification in something we call functional medicine. And mm-hmm. functional medicine is, I, I joke that it's kind of the, um, it's the medical, it's a naturopathic degree for medical doctors. Mm-hmm. So it kind of teaches you the basis of disease. And it was a four or five year process for me. Um, at the same time, I started a roller derby. I, I began playing roller derby. Wow. And during my roller derby years, I was like the resident doctor. And, of course, I'm surrounded by women. So when they started asking me questions, like about sexuality or periods or whatever. And I started doing this, like, question answer on Facebook on sexuality and sex questions. And I started kind of uh, diving into that. But then I went to a conference, a functional medicine conference, and there were all the books, you know, on gut, sleep, nutrition, supplements, et cetera, et cetera. And it dawned on me that there was not one book on pleasure or sexuality. Mm. That in all the years of me learning this model and all this integrative and holistic medicine, I've never had one conversation or one lecture or anything that talked about pleasure or sexuality mm-hmm. and that moment it was almost like a light lightning bolt hit me because at that moment I was like that's what I'm going to do I'm going to be the spokesperson to help people understand the importance in our wellness and in our health through pleasure and sexuality um, now of course sexuality is a big topic and I, I don't I don't mean like everybody has to be sexual to get pleasure or mm-hmm. that sexuality plays a huge role in a lot of people's lives. But I believe it does play a role, a much bigger role than we give it credit for, because it really intersects with the way that we are, live in our body, as well as how we connect to other people. But it's so maligned and so silenced that we're all so totally uncomfortable talking about it, even mm-hmm. physicians. We just don't feel good about talking about what we're doing intimately with another person or with ourselves or what our desires are. And therefore, we're missing this huge, huge piece in helping our patients be whole, happy, well, and in their body. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I'm so glad you went that direction. And so you talked, as I introduced you, I read about how you incorporate principles of gratitude and pleasure into your practice. So why do you think incorporating gratitude and pleasure makes people healthier? It's so funny because today I just spent the whole day doing my physical, it's my physical exam day. And so I've been, and so I see people mostly when they're well, but of course at this time of day with COVID, hardly anybody is perfectly well 
we're mm-hmm. dealing with so much trauma and fear and anxiety and depression. And so it's really easy as a physician with 15 minutes on your, you know, given to each patient that you, the easiest thing to do is just say, go see a therapist and here's a prescription for an antidepressant mm-hmm. or eat healthy and go exercise, right? But we forget to actually help people remember the good things in life. So one of the things that I really believe in is that we are kind of like talking heads. We live in our head and we forget that we belong to a body and our body asks us for things and needs certain things until the body starts acting out and having problems. Mm -hmm. So I often talk about pleasure and, and gratitude and joy as being important elements to keep us in our body and remind us why we are here on earth and what brings us pleasure and to actually take control of it. So it's not like, oh my gosh, it's so bad. I'm having problems because, you know, everybody's fighting about masks and I'm so stressed out. Well, when I change the conversation to like, so tell me something that is making you happy right now or bringing you joy or what's, it kind of switches the brain cells and we're able to then go into a little bit deeper of what it could be like to be in a body that actually responds to pleasure and gratitude and all the beautiful things in life rather than just responding constantly to all the suffering. Right. And I'm sure you learned that in your integrative medicine studies that that actually creates um, I mean, scientifically, what does it do to the body when you're having pleasure and great sex and wonderful relationships and connection? Like how, how does that scientifically affect us? Well, we get a lot of the good, love, juicy hormones, right? We get oxytocin, we get dopamine, and all of those in a healthy way. We, it lowers our stress. Uh, we are able to, it, it improves our immune system. I mean, there's so many, there's not just one way biologically we can explain it. Mm-hmm. But, and, and did I learn it through my integrative medicine? Yes and no. I think some of it is just because I am that sort of doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I talk about those sort of things, especially a doctor who deals with sexuality. And, and I don't talk about sex and sexuality with all my patients, but mm-hmm. I do mention it because I want people to feel comfortable in mm-hmm. that arena talking to me. And I say, you know, I tell everybody, sexuality is not what you do with another person. It's your own life force energy. Mm-hmm. We're put on this planet biologically to do two things, to, re- to reproduce and to die. Mm-hmm. So why do we have such a hard time talking about something that we're all bio, most of us are biologically driven to do on some extent. Mm-hmm. And how do we reclaim our, that energy, that, you know, that current that runs in most of us, how do we reclaim it for ourselves and figure out how best to do it for ourselves so that we can actually be in a beautiful place with another person rather than in a place of trauma? I have to say, I think pretty much every person I've ever met has some sort of trauma based around sexuality. Not everybody, but most people. Right. Yeah, and I heard you say, why do we have such a hard time talking about it? Well, obviously, we've been programmed by, you know, religion and the puritanical ideals of, you know, our our culture. And then how do we break out of that? I would say community is really important when you when our you know healthy sexual behavior becomes normalized talking about it becomes normalized 
Um, and so you were a big part of Sex Positive Portland, which that's the very thing that, that I believe they're creating. So can you tell us more about what that is and what you learned as being the director? Well, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot, but I have to say I am no longer part of that community, mm-hmm. and um, I cannot speak for that community as it exists today. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know the direction of what that community is going to be. But mm-hmm. I, so I joined Sex Positive Portland back in 2016 when I was in that exploration of what is sexuality, like how does one what does it mean? Because there's very little places to get education on sexuality. And here I was, a doctor. I wanted to incorporate it into my practice. I was trying to answer a lot of people's questions around it. And so as part of that studies, I, I discovered this, this group. And they did this fantastic job of teaching boundaries. I mean, I think that was like the best class. And it kind of blew me away because nobody in my life has ever taught me about boundaries. Mm -hmm. And then I went back and was like teaching my staff and teaching my patients about boundaries. And then the Me Too movement happened. So it all kind of coincided around the same time. And during this um, and through my other classes that I took, I saw people doing the safer sex talk. And, you know, you said that what it takes to be able to be comfortable with one's sexuality is community, yes. But how do we magnify that community? How do we normalize this so it's accessible to everybody? So somebody doesn't have to feel brave enough to walk into a room of a group of people that call themselves sex positive, Portland, right? Mm-hmm. Like just the, having the word sex in there could be so intimidating and you don't know what you're getting into oh my god is this a place i'm going to find orgies or is it a place that i'm going to find community i mean we don't know because of the discomfort we have Mm -hmm. luckily for me you know i found so much education as well as beautiful community in this group and it really helped me um, learn how to teach And I created the Safer Sex Talk that I am trying to birth into the greater world because I believe that through this talk, we can all become more comfortable talking about our sexuality. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the great lessons I learned um, through my years at Sex Positive Portland. I left uh, SPP in in like May of 2020 because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I really had to put my focus onto my medical practice. Right. And so you created a way to talk about sexuality. Is that the STARS model? Yes. Yes. So that's an acronym, and, I'm assuming. Yes. So it's an acronym, and it stands for five elements that I believe we should all understand about ourselves and then communicate with any prospective intimate partner. Mm-hmm. So what it stands for is uh, our sexual health and STI status, our turn-ons, which is what we desire, what we like, our avoids, which are our boundaries or any trauma that may have occurred, our relationship intentions and expectations, and our safety protocols. Mm-hmm. And each of these elements are things that most people kind of tuck in the back of their head and kind of think about. But it actually never really sat down and thought about. And I'm not talking about people within the sex positive community. I'm really talking about anybody. 
like your basic human being. And these are my patients. Like how many of my patients actually know what turns them on and what they desire and what they like? And how many of my patients think about sexually transmitted infections and normalize it by getting regular testing, by talking to people when their last test was? Sometimes mm-hmm. I ask my patients, like, did you ask your partner when their last STI? And they're like, oh, I did, and he got really angry at me. He said, who do you think I am? I'm not somebody who would get STIs. I was like, wow, okay, this is, these are the people that need education because they're so stigmatized by the thought of it. I personally think that if we normalize STIs, then we'll feel less guilt over what we do with one another. But as long as we feel scared of something, we're going to constantly be in shame. And, right. you know, feel bad about having pleasure and having sexy times with people. So the stars talk, let me go, to go back to the stars talk, um, I believe, like, if people could remember these five elements, and it doesn't even matter if they remember it in the acronym or perfectly, but actually talk to each other in the very beginning of relationships, it could transform so much. I almost mm-hmm. feel like it's the reclamation of love because, I know when I do a stars talk at the beginning of my relationships, and I almost always do it with people who've never done it before, mm-hmm. it, they're like, wow, that is amazing. And the way that we have relationship is so much better than what I used to do. Mm-hmm. Because now we have this way of saying, this is what I want, and these are my intentions, and this is what I want with you. Or just, you know, everything is pretty laid out there and very clear. That's so great. Remind me what the R is for again. It's for relationship intentions and expectations. Oh, right, intentions, yes, exactly. So it's almost like what is is it that I want in a relationship? And what is it that I want with you? Also, Mm -hmm. like if I was to have sex with you, what would it mean to me? Like it would be Mm -hmm. this. I'm kind of curious about what it means to you. And and then lastly, I took elements from kink where they do aftercare. Mm-hmm. Because it's so beautiful. Aftercare is so beautiful, and we don't really think about that in the non-kink setting. And um, so it's like, what are my expectations? What are, what do I need afterwards? What is it? Do I need a text? Do I need to be held? Do I need – like, it's the whole gamut and these things that we never think about. But once we know them and we can actually express them to a person, a partner, mm-hmm. it's so empowering. It's And I think I have seen this talk make change in people's lives, which I think is, I am so happy about that. I can imagine. And so the safety part, is that also something that you kind of took from kink? Like what what do you mean by safety? Well, it's, it's everything. So I, I I just, I used to call it safer sex etiquette, but I'm actually renaming it to safety because there's no such thing as safe sex, right? So we have to create a container for ourselves. What does that container look like so that we could show up fully? Does that container look like, oh, okay, you have to wear condoms to reduce the risks of certain STIs or you don't want to get pregnant? Or does that risk look like, oh, I don't want to use any alcohol during any sexual activity? Or does that look like for my spiritual safety, I need you to recognize this about me. And how okay. do we co-create how do we co-create this container where we both could feel like we could show up fully? Mhm. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So because it starts with the the STI status, so you can talk at that time too about whether you want to use condoms or not 
at the beginning. Exactly. But, mm-hmm. but then the second mm-hmm. S is for other kinds of safety as well. Like, like I'm seeing also when you mentioned, you know, aftercare, like that's also a form of emotional safety. Like if we're yes. going to have sex at this party, I want you to at least call me tomorrow or send me a text or something. You know, yes. I don't want to just never talk Absolutely. to you again. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or maybe you don't want them to call you, and you know, you know. Or maybe so, you don't. Yeah. I would like us to never. Like, I don't again. want to give no, you my name. I don't want to give you my phone exactly number. That's how right. I feel safe. So, but we can't make these assumptions about each other. It's really important mm-hmm. that we talk to about that, and that's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yes. A lot of these elements can blend in with one another, so it doesn't have to be like this cut and dry. Like I have to go through this piece by piece, because they mm-hmm. do blend in. But it's just the idea that these five elements are so important for us to really show up fully and authentically to create conscious and consensual relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's just so hugely revolutionary to be able to tell somebody before you start having sex with them what your likes and dislikes are sexually. You know, usually like the yeah. model is that we just, you know, fall into this, um, you know, this paradigm of like we kiss and then we might do oral and then we have intercourse right. and, and we grow up around in the dark and try to figure it out. So it's, <laughs> it's really refreshing to just say like, here's what I found that I really enjoy and here's what I don't like. Please avoid that. And um, the person has like a roadmap of the other person to begin with, you know, and that's so refreshing to know that ahead of time. It also, it, what's also really good about it, if you, tell, if you talk about what you like and don't like in the beginning when you're not in a sexual scenario, then mm-hmm. when you are in a sexual scenario, it's easier to make those adjustments. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you could say, oh, I'm somebody who really likes to check in a lot during sex, like how are you doing? Or I'm somebody who doesn't really like to check in, but we could talk about it later, you know? So it mm-hmm. just allows this deeper level of being able to explore another person. Like one thing, it's funny, I was just, I have on my, and I don't mind sharing my stars, of course not, but one of, one of the things that on my avoid, funny enough, is I'm not a huge fan of oral sex, of kind of lingus. Mm-hmm. And so at least that's what I found, like that's what I felt for many years, that I really was not, I didn't like kind of lingus very much. So I kept on all mm-hmm. my stars. And I find that it's so much easier for people to go in with that idea that it's not really my thing. And mm-hmm. then when I enjoy it, be like, oh, I really, I guess it is my thing. Um, <laughs> because it also makes it so, like, there's not that expectation that they have mm-hmm. to please me and make me like everything right off the bat. Does that make right. sense? Oh, you know, I'm the same as you. And so many people, well, there's two things. One is that they, like, and I primarily date and um, I'm romantic with men. So they have learned, like, to be a good guy they should go down on the woman and please her first. And, and so they just want to go right to that routine. And so it's really helpful to say that's not my thing. And then also a lot of people, it's like a fetish for them. And so it makes me think of like Betty Martin's wheel of consent where, which she was just a recent guest on my show (laughs) Um, where it's, I feel like they're taking touch from me and they're not giving me touch. They're, they're, you know, engaging in their own fetish. It's not really what I want. Mm -hmm. It's what they want. You know what I mean? Yes, and that's actually the reason I have it in there because I I could really tell when somebody's in the take mode when they're, you know, doing cunnilingus on me or if somebody's in the giving mode. Like, I could energetically feel that. So I rather just make sure, like, I, 
I, if they are dead, you know, go down, I feel they're in the take mode. I could just be like, remember, that's not really my thing, you know? So it's an easier way of getting out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's more vulnerable to talk about it when you're in the middle of making love. <laughs> and also it's hard exactly. to, hard to listen, especially I've noticed men's brains kind of fade away when they're super turned on. <laughs> Yes. I, I know sometimes my brain fades away when I'm super yes, turned on. So it's really right. having these conversations beforehand, it just sa- it saved my ass. I'm sure it saved a lot of my partners, too, because I tell them, hey, I, you know, I've studied Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent, and I talk to them about that. I talk to them about the giving, taking, receiving, allowing uh, dynamic and how I'm sensitive to that. And actually, in having a conversation about that, creates the dynamic in the bedroom so much better. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, and that's well, part of my safety. That's part of my safety thing. Like, this is how I am, and this is what I enjoy, and this is why I don't. Right. Right, right. Good. And then speaking of STIs, um, let's talk about that. Because that's, you know, as an open relationship and polyamory coach, I get that question all the time. You know, well, what about STIs? So what do you have to say about open relating and STIs? <laughs> Ooh, I have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> first of all, I just want to say that I believe STIs are a metaphor for our, our unconscious bias and our sex negativity. So mm. we ha- when you go through, through sex education in high school or whenever, you know, they teach you, the, they show you all the ugliest pictures of STIs to put fear and shame into something that you might get pleasure out of. Right. So there's always that idea, oh, my God, I'm going to get STIs. So the number one thing is I, I often, you know, what I often lead a lot of my STI talks with, what are the three worst STIs? So three worst STIs, what do you think? Um, HIV, um, herpes, and um, HPV. Okay, you're wrong. They are shame, <laughs> guilt, and fear. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> we pass that on to each other. We pass mm-hmm. it on to each other. Mm-hmm. So the, that's the first thing is we have to, like, reframe what an STI is. It's an infection. It's bacteria, parasites, viruses that we pass on to each other in a very specific manner. But we pass. We have to remember. We pass on bacteria. We pass it on to each other all the time. You know, there's all those non-sexually transmitted infections, namely like COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Influenza, chickenpox. I mean, we pass things on to each other all the time, and we don't feel game. Sh- you know, game guilt, shame, or fear around any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But because it's something that we do sexually, we're even more scared of it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I, I want to bring up is that not all infections that we are scared of are sexually transmitted. Some of them are also sensually transmitted, mm-hmm. meaning you only need skin-to-skin contact. Right. So, so not everything is about sex. Sometimes sensuality and t- just skin-to-skin contact could also, you could get topical, you know, general warts, external warts that way. You could get scabies that way. You could get a staph infection that way. You could even get herpes that way. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And yet then there's the other disease, the other infections that require either mucus or fluid transfer. And those could be uh, gonorrhea, chlamydia, uh, syphilis, and HIV. Mm-hmm. Herpes, herpes can be transmitted just from skin-to-skin contact, but it also could be transmitted from genital-to-genital contact in the fluid and the mucosa. Uh, right. So... What do you do? How do we, as non-monogamous people, what do you do to reduce STIs if you're going to be even just skin-to-skin contact with somebody? Let's say you're going to not even have any genital insertion in any place. Well, you get tested and you talk about it. Again, this little formula of stars that I created also can save your ass with STIs. I actually, there may be a study out there. I haven't, and if there was, there's only one, and there really needs to be a bigger study. I believe that people who are non-monogamous, whether that's swinger, polyamorous, uh, you know, just non-monogamous but ethically non-monogamous, that they have a less rate of STIs than the mainstream world. Right. I believe, and and when you look at the data of, like, who gets the most STIs, it's usually teenagers and young adults. And why? Because they don't know how to talk about sex, because they don't know how to access health care, because they don't know how to access ways of prevention. And they're so uncomfortable that they kind of just put themselves at much higher risk than necessary. Right. I remember... Yeah, I, do, I remember the first person that um, who is now a pretty well-known sex educator, but this was like 15 years ago maybe, he put, sent an email out, this is even before Facebook, he, he sent an email out to a whole bunch of people telling everybody he said sex with in the last year or so, like what his um, STI status was. And I was just so blown away at the openness of that. And since then, mm-hmm. I've seen it demonstrated over and over again, where especially if like the leader of a community does it, if they post on Facebook, like, oh, no, I got an STI. Anybody that's come near me recently better go get tested, you know, and they just normalize it and make it like, okay, well, we're going to tell you when it happens instead of hiding it. And then nobody can even find yeah. out whether they have it or not. Exactly. So the more we could talk about it and become comfortable just having a conversation with each other about it and normalizing it, the less scary all of it will be. Mm-hmm. I also want to bring in my, um, remember, I think the one thing that went the most viral in my COVID care was the risk awareness, the risk assessment. Mm-hmm. Right. And that I actually created because of STIs. Because I find some people have such risk, low risk tolerance that they don't even want to hug somebody with herpes and then there's other people who have a much higher risk tolerance that are like I could deal with someone with herpes and I I really wanted to explore what is the difference there what is it that somebody feels okay and somebody doesn't and so this is very unscientific very clinical based not very like you know I put people through rigorous studies I realized that the people who carry the most shame, fear, or are the least resourced, meaning that they don't have access to health care, they don't have a supportive community, those people have much, can have much more fear, and therefore their risk tolerance is less. They're not willing to, deal, to take as much risk. The people who either have a bigger supportive community, have more education, have access, you know, are more resourced. Or that also could fly with people who just don't care and are willing to take, you know, risks. So 
that there's a spectrum of risk tolerance in there too when we're talking about STIs. So right, I like I like I like how you said um, people who don't have access to education because that is who I get that question from most often is monogamous people who haven't been in these kinds of communities are the ones that ask me like you're polyamorous what about STIs as if we're just all going yeah. out and having sex with no condoms and like not talking about it and just there's this misunderstanding of how we all relate to each other. Um, Evelyn, before you continue, I just want to say in case people are just joining us, um, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks at sumatisparks.com. And we are speaking with Dr. Evelyn Dacker, a sex-positive integrative family medicine physician and consent and sex educator, sexual health activist. Um, if you have any questions for Dr. Dacker, you can call 657-383-1132. And you won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold and we'll come to your call at the right time. So once again, that's 657-383-1132. So um, I think you were still going to make another point. Go ahead. We were talking about STIs, risk tolerance. Oh, people um, who are new saying, Oh, but what about STIs? You know, they're also repeating what the CDC and what the big public health initiative about STI prevention is. And there's uh, the elements of this prevention are abstinence, mutual monogamy, condom use, vaccinations, and there's one more about like reducing number of sex partners. Okay? Right. So three of those things, three of those things are about not having sex. Right. So if you're having, so like, okay, this is how you reduce sexually transmitted diseases. You don't have sex. Okay, great. <laughs> this is how you reduce COVID. You don't breathe. Like, just give me a break, okay? I mean, just go sit at home and never see another person. Exactly. I mean, we know that these are, these don't work. So when people come and they're like, oh, but all the STIs from like having sex. Yeah, they don't talk about, like, if you just get regular testing and you actually communicate, you have a less risk of transmitting. And the more you know about it, education. Let's, let's get good education about what it is, what it actually does. Herpes. Most people with herpes understand their symptoms, know when they're contagious, and have in their toolkits something they can take to reduce shedding and infection. Now, if they're not being taught this, these things, that also increases the risk of STIs. Who's right. responsible for teaching this? Doctors. How much do doctors know about this? Very, very little. Very mm-hmm. little. Yeah, what are some of the so, areas that you, you don't think doctors understand well about sexuality? <laughs> all of it. All of it. <laughs> they don't know. I mean, really, they understand how, they understand the disease states, the problem states, and the erection states. That's it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And having babies. <laughs> right. Right. But that, really, we don't, we don't get taught anything about pleasure. Do you know, I just, somebody just brought this out to my attention, which is so sad. But almost every part of the female vulva, like the glands, the areas, the internal, even the testing – are all named after men. Mm, wow. Like the G-spot, for example? Named, right. And the pap, 
the Skeen's glands, the Bartholin's glands. I mean, oh. they're all named after men. It's like our entire sexuality has been co-opted by men. Oh, my gosh. We've got to come up with new names for them. <laughs> yeah, they, they are changing. They're now being called, you know, more anatomical names. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, it, when we think about it, and so medicine is very binary. Medicine is very patriarchal. So, Mm -hmm. so much of our sexuality, which is very, you know, much more, you know, female, we, we create life is, we bear life. We, you know, birth is through us. And yet so much it was taken away from us and the understanding of the pleasure and the beauty of our sexuality. So doctors aren't taught this. We're just, I, you know, this is part of my bigger mission in life. It's like, let's get stars out. And once stars is out, I really want to help teach healthcare providers who want to really make their patients well, make them, help them be more comfortable about understanding sexuality and sex. Mm-hmm. I love your passion I might have for to live, it. Yeah, I might have to live like an extra hundred years to actually do it, but <laughs> I can I can fantasize about it, right? There is a lot of work to do, and you know, as certain communities t- tend to grow more and more progressive and more inclusive and more compassionate, it seems like the opposite is happening in other communities where they're just getting more and more conservative. So maybe we'll just ricochet off each other and find a way to connect eventually. (laughs) Um, Yes. And also, you know, I think sometimes I just want to say that I think my passion hopefully will, will leak out to somebody else who's younger and to take up the mission when, you know, could help because it's not going to take one person. It's going to take, it's going to take thousands of thousands of people to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Great. So we're talking a lot about sexuality and sexual health. Um, but people like me, I'm very demisexual, which means that I don't even want to have sex with somebody until I feel like there's, at the bare minimum, a loving friendship. So let's talk a little bit about relationships and um, specifically mm-hmm. non-monogamous relationships, since that's what I do. Um, what do you think helps the most for people to create healthy relationships? Well, you know, honestly, because it's the thing that I'm trying to teach, I think a star's talk, like having mm-hmm. a very clear star's talk on sometimes even on starting it on the first date, being open and able to say, to know what it is you want and who you are. So mm-hmm. oftentimes when I do a star's talk, I start with relationship intentions. You know, I say, this is who I am. I'm a demisexual and this is what it means or who, whatever, you know, just saying, because a lot of people may not know the lingo, but mm-hmm. the more we could start by just figuring out, is this really just a good match? And can I have a conversation with this person? The next element of it is to make sure that you're aligned with your agreements with other partners, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have to remember that if you're going to be non-monogamous, that means that there's other people in the picture. How do we show that we care for them? How do we, you know, that's really important. When I, when I go on a date with somebody, it's so important that I know how they show their care for their ex-partners, for their current partners, for their children, because that tells me a lot how they're going to show care for, my, for me. Right. So that, that's in my, like, relationship intentions, expectations kind of box mm-hmm. uh, that I, you know. So really 
the more conversations that don't have, you know, I mean, the, that what we think of the sex act or intercourse, whatever it looks like to anybody, but it's not just about that. It's about the whole, it's the whole enchilada, right? The whole picture. So I also think that being in a community makes a huge difference too. I think if you're doing non-monogamy by yourself, oh, it's so hard. Yes. (laughs) It's so hard. Finding a community to support you, whether it's online or in person, that you could ask questions, that you could show up in your messy self. It's just so important. Yeah, that's exactly what one of the – one of the early things I do when I start working with people is to help them find community because the greater culture doesn't have our back. And so uh, our families don't understand usually and our closest friends think we're being a little crazy if we're just starting non-monogamy. So finding a community that's already practicing, practicing that helps people feel um, like these things are normalized. And the issues that come up are so similar. Human beings can be so similar. You know, we mm-hmm. think we're so unique. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the more and more I do this coaching, the more I see the same issues coming up over and over again. And if we can be in a community where, like, oh, even that person who's been non-monogamous for 15 years still feels jealous. Okay, I don't feel so bad then. Or, you right. know, oh, that couple over there is also dealing with how to manage children and you know, just to see other people are dealing with the same issues can be so empowering. Absolutely. And it's finding out a community that's healthy. And that could be tricky. You know, sometimes, like on Facebook, some of the the groups that have like thousands and thousands of people, you're like, ah, I don't know. Sometimes a person's really, you know, could be triggery for others. So it's about finding a community that matches with, with what you're looking for. If you're a swinger and you end up in a poly community, that may not work and mm-hmm. vice versa. Right. I, I think yeah. that way, that's, what, that's something that's nice about Facebook is that you could find these groups and really, and they all have a different flavor and then decide which flavor is the one you like. Exactly. Um, and it's so important that, that a community, well, community can be defined in so many different ways. It could be just like loose um, group of people where some of, some subset of them comes together from time to time, or it could be more of a closed community where the same people are seeing each other over and over again or something in between. But I think it's really important that whatever community you're in has an understanding of consent. And I know that that's mm. one of the main that you teach. So can you talk a little bit about consent and why that's so important for people to have an understanding of that? And then also for a community to have some kind of structure of accountability for consent violations. Yeah. So, you know, when I was talking about when I first entered um, that sex positive community and I learned about boundaries, teaching boundaries and understanding boundaries is critical to consent Mm -hmm. because when we don't understand that we have boundaries, it's really easy to let somebody do something you don't want them to do. When we understand that boundaries are there to keep us in a positive relationship with someone else, then it becomes so much easier to remain in a place of consent. And so much so that I think that if people could get that practice, real deeper understanding of boundaries down, then consent violations are much easier to handle because sometimes 
they, they're either egregious, you know, like, whoa, you totally crossed my boundary. I was once at this party where it was my birthday and somebody was, and this was in an organization that we taught, learned boundaries. Um, and this person was like, can I give you a birthday spanking? And I'm like, sure. You could give me a birthday spanking and you could only spank my buttocks. <laughs> and so we went into a room and they started spanking me and then they started spanking me lower and, you know, closer to my vulva. And I was like, I did not consent to you spanking me there. I said, you could spank me on my buttocks. And so they mm-hmm. did again and then they tried again. And I just was like, I stood up and was like, this is done. You, you know, you, you're not listening to my boundaries and this is very clear. So it really gave me this ability to then go to the host and be like, hey, this person, I was stated very clearly where they could spank me and they, they cross those boundaries twice, twice and you need to be aware of that. Now, I, it wasn't a trauma thing, but it's like, wow, this person really needs to understand boundaries if they're going to yeah. remain in a community where we're going to have this sort of play. Everybody does. And mm-hmm. there has to be accountability for that. Right. And I know there's a community that I was involved in in the Bay Area before I moved to Hawaii called the Bonobo Community. And yeah. the Bonobo, yeah. Bonobo Network is what they're now using. And yeah. they have, like, um, after every gathering, everybody gets an email with a form that you can fill out to, and you can, I think you can be anonymous with it, but I'm not sure. But you can just say, here's what happened. And the organizers get to see that after every party. And if there's a pattern with a certain person, you know, they really take it to heart. If it's just a one time thing, yeah, they'll just weigh it and see, does, you know, does something have to happen here? You know, person will get a talking to, but other times it could be a real serious, um, infraction you know yes they they are a great example of a healthy sex positive community Mm -hmm. so and i think you don't need to live in the bay area now to be to belong to them yeah that was one of the people yeah silver linings of the pandemic was that they um had to go online more and we're having online play parties and online mixers and so that more people started joining from other places and um, I know the founders, William and Misha, and they were just here on Maui. <laughs> um, you know, they're going around and speaking on their um, consent uh, system that they created. So they're spreading it around. <laughs> yeah, they have. Are you hearing me clearly? Because uh, you started breaking up a little bit. Yes, I am hearing you. Okay, good. Then I'll okay. just ignore what I'm hearing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I love your stars talk, and I, I've just started dating someone new, and I'm going to use it. I'm going to practice it, maybe even tonight. <laughs> I'll let you know how it goes. Great. <laughs> Great. Yes. Yes. That will be really fun. I especially love the relationship intentions and expectations because um, I did something kind of like this similarly recently. I didn't have your whole stars model, but we talked about STI status and what our um, emotional needs were around the connection, as well as our likes and dislikes. You know, we kind of did the, just the basics. And um, he was, he'd never done it before, and he was so relieved that he could share what he was available for, you know, because I think a lot of times people are afraid to be intimate with someone, and physically intimate or any other way, because they're afraid of the expectations or what that's going to mean. So to have an opportunity to say, 
here's what I'm available for. Does that work for you? And if you need more than that, maybe mm. we shouldn't go forward, you know? And he was just so relieved and he was like, oh, this is great. Everybody should do this. And I go, well, yeah, a lot of people are doing this. <laughs> so it's really great to yeah. uh, spread it out to the, the normal world. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, that's exactly what I want stars to do is spread it out to the normal world mm-hmm. and default mainstream. But the truth is, is there doesn't have to be stars. It's, there's a lot of different acronyms. There's a lot of different ways people are doing it. The, I, don't, I don't care what people are using. What I just want to teach is, like, you can do this. You actually can have a conversation about really important things as you begin a relationship. And mm-hmm. I think just changing people's realization of that will be profound. Right. Exactly. Yeah, just more communication in general. I just had a couple. Um, I taught them my um, sandbox play idea where um, they create like a sandbox in their home that's not their bed, and they go into the sandbox as if they're little children just exploring each other's bodies. Like, what does this feel like? Oh, let's try this. And just like try to let go of any way that you've ever had sex before with each other or anyone else and just pretend that you're, you know, Six or 12 or just that innocent little child who's just exploring and learning about your own and the other's body for the first time. And then when the alarm goes off and you get out of the sandbox, then you can take that information into your future real lovemaking mm. sessions. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So, that sounds yeah. great. More, more talk, more conversation. And our, our egos, you know, mm-hmm. the older I get, the more my ego wants to get in the way. And it's like, wait a minute, you've not liked that all this time? <laughs> so it's good to just try to get that ego out of the way and try to stay in a beginner's yep. mind. Because yep. it's very hard to ask for what you want. It's very scary. It's super vulnerable. Oh, yes. Yeah. Especially if we've not been taught or modeled how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I help my clients also, like, um, when one person asks for what they want, before they answer, they just pause for a moment mm-hmm. and thank them for the courage to ask. To, you know, acknowledge them and honor them for the bravery to to share that, even before they even think about what their answer is, you know. It's really good to just stop for a moment and congratulate them because then that makes you more tellable. That makes that makes the, the listener, um, makes the person want to tell you more in the future because you've celebrated mm-hmm. them for telling them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I think that's what I do in my medical practice, too. Just being like, thank you, and you're, all of you is welcome here, you know, your messiness yeah. and your loveliness. <laughs> yeah, it must be so refreshing because especially if you bring up sexuality first so then they know that it's, you know, an op- open topic there. Like they, they can bring mm-hmm. it up when they, mm-hmm. when they want mm-hmm. to. Yeah, it's so great. And, yeah, and, you know, the funny thing is not all of my patients know this side of me. You know, they just know me as their family doctor. It's kind of cute. Um, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical in February, and so I've been telling my patients. And I'm taking it to finish writing my STARS book. And mm-hmm. so then they ask me what I'm doing, and they're like, really? Wow. You know, it's kind of funny. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> There's That's something great. else I am. <laughs> I love that you're doing a book. And what was your TEDx talk about? It was on STARS. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, it's, it's my, yeah, my TEDx talk is about having a, what would, how would having a safer sex talk change the world? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's so exciting. I've got to look that up. I haven't seen it yet. 
Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And so what community are you hanging out in now if you're no longer in SPP? Well, what community? <laughs> I hang out in a lot of different communities, mostly because I have lots of beautiful friends. Mm-hmm. And I have beautiful friendships from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, during the pandemic, we really had to lean into that in a much more virtual way. Mm-hmm. Um spend a lot of, you know, I work, I still see patients, I still a doctor, and I have my partners and my friends, and I, I have a really full, beautiful life, and so I guess mm-hmm. my community is just my friends that are all mm-hmm. over. Um, right. And I feel incredibly blessed to mm. have the, the, you know, friends and lovers that I currently have, and I have a That's great awesome. life, so... Oh, how sweet. Yeah, I noticed that the, another silver lining of the pandemic is that I've dropped in deeper with more one-on-one connections because I used to, when I lived in the Bay Area, there was so many things going on all the time. And, you know, you're jumping from one gathering to another. And I would see people in groups. And now I see people more one-on-one or two at a time. Mm-hmm. And so my friendships have gotten a lot deeper. And so my community is also smaller now here in Hawaii. You know, it's just the, mm-hmm. the people that I feel safe sharing air with, you know. So there's mm-hmm. a gift in that to have deeper, more intimate connections. It's more like family than like a big tribe. Right, right. That's beautiful. I love to hear that. Um, well, it's been so wonderful getting to know you, Eveline. Um, I want to give you some time to share with our listeners um, how they can reach you and anything else you want to tell them. Yes. Um well, we did mention I do have a TEDx talk that could be found on YouTube if you just Google my name, Evelyn Dackard, and, you know, TEDx, it will come up. Also on YouTube, I have uh, some education there on SPIs. I have two recordings, one's on HPV and one is on HSV, that's herpes and human papillomavirus, and those are available for free. There's also information available on my website at evelinedacker.com. I have very, some very cheap little handbooks, like one's an STI handbook with lots of information about STIs and ways that they could, you know, what to look out for, uh, and some labs and how to talk to your doctor if you want certain tests. And then I have one specifically on herpes as well. And mm. that is, that's a lot of the STI work that I have done. And then uh, my star's work is on maketimeforthetalk.com. But if you Google starstalk.org, you'll find the same place. Mm-hmm. And there you'll find a lot of information of uh, what it is as well as a worksheet you could download. All of it's for free. Many, many of my offerings are either very low cost or free. I am going to be doing a facilitator training uh, group that will start in January, and I may have more in the future. I do a coaching group called Inside Out. That we, that's for people who have never even thought about these five elements, and every week we kind of go through one of the elements. Um, I do workshops. I do workshops for specific groups. And really, if anybody wants to have me come and do a workshop or teach or is interested in anything, with my STARS work or even the STI work, uh, you could find me um, on my website. There's a, you know, there's an email 
You can also find me on Instagram at sexmeddoc. That's S-E-X-M-E-D-D-O-C. And there's some links there, some information I post there, here and there. I'm not super active mm-hmm. on it, but mm-hmm. that's different places that you could locate me. Uh, I am currently in Oregon, so if you're in Portland, you know, you see me around, say hi. And that's about it. And, you know, hopefully I'm going to complete my book on stars in by March, and hopefully it will be out in the next year or two. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And your license is only, you're only allowed to practice in Oregon, yeah? Well, I'm licensed in Oregon, but I could, I do do, I, right now, sometimes I do do uh, health coaching with people outside of the state, mm-hmm. but right now I am limiting that because I'm really focusing on my writing. Okay, great. Okay, well, good luck writing your book. I'm really looking forward to seeing it out there in the world, and I really appreciate you joining our show today, Evelyn. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.